welcome to the Steroids Podcast with your host, Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Steroids Podcast is brought to you by Ultimate Guide to Roids, 109-page ebook by Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Now, for the first time in bodybuilding history, you have someone with no corporate interests and no obligation to please anyone, not walking on eggshells to not offend. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the information, the whole information, the whole truth, not a full truth and a half-truth. Full truth. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the keys to the Lamborghini, gives you the information, and lets you decide what to do with it. It's a crime this information has been suppressed this long. Now let's get on with the podcast. Alright guys, Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand, back here with your next episode of the Steroids Podcast. Gonna be a fun episode today. The questions are great. Everybody's been going to the steroidspodcast.com website and signing up for the VIP email list there so that we can avoid internet censorship and avoid people deleting me on social media and then having uh, us not be able to communicate, you and I, anymore with the podcast. So everybody's been going to the Steroids Podcast website, www.steroidspodcast.com, to sign up for the VIP email list there. And then we've been beating internet censorship in that way which has been freaking awesome you know how these bastards these uh technocrats are trying to take over the world right now they're becoming more powerful than the governments of the different nationalities so you have these um multinational corporations and technocrats people that control um technology people that control the internet um who have amassed such massive power now that they're um definitely able to challenge uh governments especially with the backing of old money um that they have um so we're we're in the middle of that you know that's what's going on right now with the corona virus the chinese virus and everything is uh you know it's a it's a battle for power it's a struggle for humanity guys who's gonna win the good guys or the bad guys it's up to us it's up to us we have to defend our own freedom all right. Um, one, I wanted to remind you guys that also I do the coaching. It's ninety nine dollars a month for the text message bodybuilding coaching daily uh, text messaging. We do that on WhatsApp. I got a bunch of guys on there. We chat every day. Um, that's the Steroids Podcast daily uh, text messaging for one month uh, that we do over there. And then uh, also I do the one hour phone call consultations, fifty nine dollars. Uh, talk with you guys, the listeners of the podcast. Always have a great time uh, chatting with you guys on the phone, getting to know you guys. So that's all doing good. Inquiring about that, hit me up at steroidspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, that's definitely the best place to uh, to hit me up about that, inquire about that, see what's up about that, ask about that. <laughs> uh, the first thing I wanted to discuss today was... Um, trend dosage effects so the effects of different dosages of trend and what they'll do for you so we do know guys that people are different so you know it 
we all react within a general spectrum to certain dosages of steroids, okay? But some people are more sensitive to lower dosages, and some people need higher dosages. But we're all within a general spectrum, okay? So a general spectrum for humans. The same way that, you know, one guy can drink, you know, guys without t tolerances, right? One guy can drink alcohol or drink coffee, and, you know, one, one dude may be a little bit sensitive more than another dude, um... It's not like a, an outrageous difference, you know, uh, judging, uh, you know, if you've standardized for body size and everything. It's not an outrageous difference. Uh, but there can be some, you know, there's, there can be some variance in response genetically who's a little more sensitive than others. Uh, so just, um, you know, but it's not a completely different response, right? It's, it's still within the, the range of what humans respond to. You know, you can generally say what dosages of many chemicals, substances, medications um, that humans respond. And there's usually a dosage range. There's always a dosage range where humans respond within this dosage range. And so it's the same thing with male hormones, with steroids, guys. So while there is variance to where, um, you know, some guys need different dosages um, to get, you know, similar results, it's not like a, a, a difference of like, you know, one guy needs 500 milligrams of testosterone while another guy needs 5,000 milligrams to do the same thing, okay? That's not how it is. Uh, it's so, so, you know, like a, ten, a tenfold greater sensitivity. That's not the way it is. It could be, you know, like, you know, more like maybe twice as sensitive, you know, being, uh, or, or, you know, twice less as sensitive. These are basically the basic ranges. You know, I'm being generous there. Those are the basic ranges for, um, you know, judging by, you know, what are the effects of different dosages and how it can vary between people, okay? So as far as specific dosages of tren, trenbolone, trenacetate, and trenbolone enanthate too, um, trenbolone hexahydrobenzocarbonate, that's the ester that's uh, named parabolin the ester of tren it's very long acting ester longer than an anthate it's more like a deca ester uh so 150 milligrams of trenbolone per week is the minimum effective dosage three times per week 50 milligrams or um, every other day 50 milligrams so that would come out to 175 uh, milligrams per week that's the minimum effective dosage of uh trenbolone and mostly what that will do is uh, start giving you muscle gain. You'll be more anabolic. Your workouts will be better. Your muscles will feel more indestructible. The fibers will feel more like steel. Um, you'll be stronger. Your strength will start going up. Um, more eating more carbs. You'll get hot, a little bit hot when you eat your meals, sweating. Um, as far as the... And, and you'll also get a better look. You'll get a better look to your physique. You'll get a cosmetic effect, which is um, a diuretic effect where the, the skin loses water and the muscles inside the muscle gains water. So it has a cumulative effect of making you look more defined because the muscle is bigger and the stuff that prevents the definition, the skin, and it loses water, so it's thinner. So that all that stuff happens at, a, at 150 to 175 milligrams per week. But what a lot of guys want from Trend is they want the body recomposition and the fat burning. And most guys are going to be needing to use uh, about 
100 milligrams um, three times per week or um, 100 milligrams every other day. So uh, around 300 to 350 milligrams per week to get those effects where the fat burning and body recomposition comes in. At the lower dosage, Trembolone is more of a muscle builder. Um, that's that's the main effect is as a muscle builder. But then when the dosage gets jacked up to, um, you know, twice that level, 300 to 350 milligrams per week, that's when it becomes a, a fat burner for the majority and uh, a muscle builder at the same time. Where, you know, if you eat a bro diet, you know, chicken and rice and vegetable, beef and rice and vegetable, pork and rice and vegetable, <laughs> potato egg, an onion you know you eat these you eat these meals that you know bodybuilders eat that you know you see the bodybuilders eating them it's the stereotypical bodybuilding meals if you take you know 350 300 milligrams of trend per week you know along with about 600 milligrams of testosterone um, that will get you this effect where you start trading uh, muscle weight or sorry trading fat weight for muscle weight so you can stay the same weight or even gain weight and you'll be losing fat while gaining muscle and strength at the same time. So I, I know that a lot of you guys, you know, the reason you're interested in trend is because that's the effect that you want. So for the majority, there are some guys that can use the lower dosage, 150 to 175 milligrams per week and get this uh, effect. But for the majority of guys, it's around 300 to 350 uh, where this starts to noticeably kick in. And, and they're like, wow, like, you know, as long as I just, you know, eat eat a, what i know is a good diet you know not a super strict diet just you know what i what i know is a good diet what i should be eating as a bodybuilder as long as i go ahead and, and do that and i you know train hard um now I'm, I'm making like you know quick progress and uh you know going on a direct path towards my goal um and then when you go up to around 500 like 525 milligrams per week so like 150 milligrams um, three times per week or every other day, something like that. So in that 500 milligram per week range, there's definitely more like of the aggression effects and the the really alert, like really um, like more of, of the stimulant effects of trend where, where you're getting very stimulated by it, almost like you've uh, been drinking like um, espresso or, or some kind of a, a black coffee or something like that. You're getting this kind of effect from trend basically around the clock you're really wired up and more aggressive and um might have some like weird um sexual fantasies or or dreams you know uh dreams that are disturbing dreams um or find yourself um um turned on uh by things that are weird stuff like that um and uh and also the the effect in the gym as far as like aggression and um like power in the gym really starts to you know come on very strongly in this where you almost feel where you can start i mean you, you basically you feel very good in the gym you feel very good while you're working out and um you know everything's going the way that you really want that to you know about 500 milligrams of trend with 600 milligrams of testosterone per week that is you know so so powerful at doing bodybuilding um and then 700 milligrams of trend per week uh with you know so 100 milligrams every day um taking a one milliliter shot every day uh, this is, uh, for competitors, 350 milligrams to 700 milligrams per week, um, within that range is pretty standard. Um, 
uh, of taking trembolone. That's like general dosages that they use on a consistent basis. Um, and with 700 milligrams per week, your body definitely turns into like a bodybuilding machine. So uh, things, you know, like everything that you eat um, and you, you can eat ice cream, you know, like some ice cream daily. Um, at, you know, you still eat the bro foods and everything, but you can also eat some, you know, cheat meal every day or, or cheat foods every day. Um, and, uh, you know, 600 milligrams or a thousand milligrams of testosterone with 700 milligrams of trend per week. So a hundred milligrams every, every day, uh, that's, you know, you're going to be body recompositioning. You're going to be burning fat and you're going to be building large amounts of strength, um, at the same time, you know, and gaining weight slowly or staying the same weight, um, you know, trading fat weight for muscle weight, that will be a very real uh, part of what's happening for you. Uh, so those are the, the trend dosages. And then, you know, when you're looking at people, you know, with a uh, hundred pounds um, extra muscle on them and, and you can see that they're on trend, uh, once you've used trend, you can more see the signs of being on trend um and the look of it it has a it has a signature look um to the physique um that it that it gives um but some other compounds can mimic it mimic that but uh you'll these guys that are you know over 100 pounds of steroid muscle on them um and you know they're just on another planet okay um you're talking about guys you know now that are you know generally comfortable using around uh 700 milligrams to uh 1500 milligrams of trenbolone per week um you know though for for these kinds of guys um those are dosages you know if they're a, a trend user if that's their thing that they do you know that they use um some guys use other stuff some guys some guys use other stuff you know but it's it's more milligrams other stuff because uh you know only using uh, 700 to 1500 milligrams of a steroid per week that isn't trend is not going to get you there. Uh, so you, you got to really use thousands of milligrams of other steroids if you're not using trend. Um, <clears throat> and um, yeah, so that those are the dosages that they use and, and, and uh, the general effects of the different dosages. Um, I'm not pinning these kinds of dosages and, uh, you know, uh, saying, saying, uh, because there, there'll be some people who may use lower dosages or even higher dosages or whatever from time to time. A lot of people have a lot to say about trend guys. And, um, I'm giving you like the well-rounded, um, unbiased, um, dirt on the, the different dosages. So not trying to, uh, be really forceful with that or anything, but I'm trying to give you a good general feeling of how trend reacts with the with the with human beings in general and what dosages all right so getting on to the questions for today first question we have is from jeffrey question for the podcast do women need a pct when going off of birth control what about if they're on androgens like a low replacement dose of test yeah so women uh when they go off of birth control because um taking when women take birth control they're taking estrogen and progesterone tablets or shot or whatever. Um, and those are their natural female hormones. So it shuts off their hypothalamic pituitary um, gonadal axis, which is the same as um, the way that steroids shut off a man's fertility. 
uh, when you take your uh, your sex's hormone, um, it shuts off your uh, it shuts off the production of that hormone. So when women take estrogen and progesterone, then their body no longer produces estrogen and progesterone, and they become infertile because they also stop producing the uh, signaling the signaling hormones, luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone to their ovaries. Um, so, you know, a lot of women do have uh, some issues for several months or a year or sometimes even several years after using, um, you know, birth control for a long time or harsh birth control. Um, and this is the same thing with men, you know, the recovery varies, you know, between, you know, some women get pregnant on birth control, you know, and some guys, you know, get girls pregnant while they're taking steroids on cycle with no HCG, no Novodex, no Clomid, just on steroids, you know. Um, but then other people, you know, take, uh, you know, a couple months or, you know, even sometimes a year or, or more, you know, to get uh, the fertility back and uh, sometimes need to use some drugs uh, to help that um, that process get started again. So it's the same thing for men and women. When you go to a fertility clinic, the doctor... <clears throat> usually prescribes Clomid. That's usually the first line fertility drug for both genders. So when a woman, if she's infertile after using birth control, usually the doctor will prescribe her Clomid, uh, which forces eggs to go um, shooting out of the ovary into the fallopian tube. Uh, and sometimes it can, it can cause a double release. So the chances of having twins is way increased when uh, the woman is taking Clomid while trying to get uh, pregnant. Other things they use, HCG and HMG, human menopausal gonadal hormone uh, injections. Um, those are the, the main uh, fertility drugs that doctors use for men and women. Since we both work, you know, on these same... We all have the same hormones, just in different levels. We all run on the same hormones. So, uh, yeah, when when women have a hard time becoming fertile after birth control, yeah, they they do take a PCT. They usually go to a fertility doctor, who prescribes them uh, what we steroid users know as PCT. <laughs> and you're saying something about if they're on androgens, like a, a lower dose replacement dosage of testosterone. Yeah, this is something that's kind of popular um, with alternative health doctors. And what they're doing is they're prescribing like 10 milligrams of testosterone per week to women. And some of them take like test probe. They'll prescribe like a test propionate injection. And others of them use the cream, like the, the testim or androgel cream, um, like a low dosage form. A lot of times it's, you know, not branded. It's not a brand name. It's made by a compounding fact uh, pharmacy especially for, uh, you know, very low dosage for women. And, uh, no, when they come off of that, they do not need a PCT. Uh, so, uh, having high dosages of testosterone in a woman's body does not, um, uh, hurt her fertility, uh, or after they come off of it, it doesn't hurt their fertility for more than like, a a little while about, about a month or so. It's not uh, very suppressive to them. The way that uh, males are more sensitive to um, suppression uh, from from female hormones than um, females are sensitive to suppression from male hormones. That's a weird peculiarity, but yeah, having female hormones really shuts us down pretty pretty hard. But usually with women, it's just while they're using them, and um, 
some can't you know some might use a pct but it, that's usually totally unnecessary all right next question is from tattletale love the podcast always listening to it during my courier job in the car my question is what is the optimal cycle length for shorter ester steroids would blasting six to eight weeks then maintaining three to four weeks and repeating be optimal or is a longer cycle where you ramp up your dose over time more optimal um i think that it the most optimal is to to hit it it, it's like a balance between hitting it quick and hitting it hard and and being on for a long enough time for the gains to solidify so you you've got to make progress in the gym while you're on your cycle uh, you've got to make progress with your lifts and everything uh, in order to make like cycling effective over time so you've got to be uh, doing more sets more reps more time under tension more weight uh, being able to do that on exercises and getting muscle to solidify and and not just be um, just blown up with uh, energy uh, or fuel storage um, it takes about eight to ten weeks uh, steroids should definitely generally be run for um, you know six weeks would be an absolute minimum to get to get gains that stick tissue gains that stick after you discontinue them um, but eight to 10 weeks is a really good length, especially if you're, you know, using short esters, like you were said, fast acting steroids with orals and you weren't using long acting, uh, steroids, eight to 10 weeks is a optimal length for, uh, hitting it hard and hitting it quick and building up muscle tissue, not fuel storage. Okay. And the next question is anonymous. What is the best music for muscle growth? When should I expect muscle pumps and that lizard brain to kick in? <laughs> well, the best music for muscle growth is whatever makes you feel like you're who you want to be. You know, you're who you want to be. You're moving towards your goals. Uh, staying positive, man not getting stressed out cortisol is the stress hormone and it gets released okay when you're stressed and it directly competes with steroids so if you've got massive amounts of stress massive amounts of cortisol it will it will neutralize your steroids to a degree um so you know stuff that's if you can if you can reduce your stress if you can listen to music that pumps you up but makes you feel positive, um, not stuff that is uh, going to be, um, you know, may pump you up for a short period of time but kind of make you feel rotten overall, which is kind of like burning a fuse or like burning the wick on a candle because um, you, you'll only get benefit from that for a, for a certain amount of time. Like uh, as far as like music, I've experimented with listening to different types of music like um like really heavy metal that was like um like really hateful uh or something like that or like um rap that was uh like very uh vulgar and about a lot of like uh evil behaviors <laughs> <And> <laughs> while it did give a, a temporary effect where you know i would get so riled up you know during my workout um 
that would then become less potent over time where you know after maybe a period of four to five weeks of doing that then um you know i would actually it it would overall it would be like i would become um i'd get a tolerance to it and i just wouldn't feel um the same kind of kick anymore and i'd actually be feeling more like weaker like unless i had um built up enough stimulation and stuff so that was kind of a weird effect you know lifting weights with and without music is is pretty it's pretty interesting doing that i know a lot of you guys have had experiences with this along the lines of what i'm saying uh but i do i do like music when when weightlifting um but but i i nowadays what i listen to and what i think is most anabolic is music that's more uh positive and you know so it could be like it could be you know for what i listen to these days is mostly um 80s rock uh late 70s rock uh some some 90s some early 2000s uh most mostly what i'm listening to is classic rock but the kind of the more like a heavy heavy metal side of classic rock you know 80s uh so that that doesn't that doesn't like uh bring me down over time and doesn't uh it doesn't get me like so worked up and so riled up like that you know it really extreme intense music did um and i'm able to just you know enjoy my workout more and not be not be too uh not not be getting a tolerance to it or something like that i'm just more like enjoying it enjoying the feeling of working out and uh listening to good music you know getting a good a good feeling going on but not um, relying on it to uh, get me worked up the way like a smelling salts would or something like that. <laughs> Although I still will use that technique every once in a while. I'll, I will uh, maybe turn on a specific, very um, more aggressive song for, uh, you know, a top set or something every once in a while. Every once in a while, we'll still do that. Okay, the next question is from Adam. He asks... Super draw. What dosages do you use and how to get the best out of it? Like eating and training. Okay, yeah. So the minimum effective dosage to like get start getting like the characteristic super draw effects is about twenty milligrams per day. Um twenty milligrams per day and then thirty milligrams per day would be like where the full character or effects kicked in, like really kicked in, where you were seeing uh, you know, very you know, some body recomposition, you know, some, some effects that, you know, really reminded you of Trenbolone, uh, getting sweaty after meals and, um, a lot of energy muscle, you know, a lot of strength gains and muscle fibers, um, becoming a lot more hard. One of the good things about Superdrawl in comparison to Trenbolone is that Superdrawl doesn't give sexual dysfunction or like weird thoughts the way that Trenbolone doesn't, Trenbolone does. That's because Superdraw uh, doesn't have any female hormone characteristics uh, like Trenbolone does. Trenbolone hits the male hormone receptors and the female hormone receptors. Uh, it's, so it's that's why, you know, it makes you weird. <laughs> uh, so the dosages and then 50 milligrams per day Superdraw. That, like, I'm not going to lie. I've used more, but... Um, I would say that 50 milligrams per day is like a, a good, um, it's a good cost to benefit ratio or 
like uh, you can take it for a decent amount of time without like uh, having toxicity, you know, like five weeks, four or five weeks or so uh, without, you know, having toxicity that makes you, uh, you know, need to stop, which may be um, uh, low energy or uh, uh, very bloodshot eyes or um, uh, inability to eat, you know, more than one meal a day or something like that. You know, those would be uh, toxicity side effects that you would, um, you know, eventually feel if you were using high dosages of Superdrol for, you know, um, you know, months on end or, you know, um, beginning for, you know, guys that are more sensitive, like more than a month, <laughs> but usually four or five weeks is an optimal, uh, cycle length for Superdrol. Uh, I've used it for longer, but I, I you know, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I, I, you know, four or five, six weeks. That's good. That's good in my opinion. Um, and then it just starts to get, mm, you know, you, you, you're starting to get unhealthy. So, um, you just won't feel so great after that. You, you'll start to feel like, uh, Hmm, I'm taking this stuff, but I think I can feel that it's harming me, <laughs> but I keep, getting leaner and bigger and stronger just from taking these tablets it's an interesting it's a really interesting uh steroid um you know on the other hand trenbolone can be taken for longer periods of time because it doesn't have those um toxic oral effects that oral steroids have it has its own effects its own toxicity effects but um that's the advantage of trenbolone over superdrol is that it can be used uh, for longer periods of time, even though they, they have similar effects uh, when taken. Uh, okay, next question. Anonymous asks, Hey, bud, I've got to where I listen to the podcast during my workout instead of music. Seems to keep me going. All right, that's another option for you guys. Anyways, what is test three? It says a combination of three testosterones. Is it worth taking? What do you feel? is the best over the counter anti-estrogen in your experience. Uh yeah, yeah, so like test 300 or or test 3 um sometimes there's test 300 that they sell which is usually just test an anthate dosed at 300 milligrams per milliliter. But if you have this stuff that's like a test 3 or test complex or something like that, um what they're meaning is a mixture of three different esters of testosterone in one vial. So they're probably going to have a uh, fast acting and uh two two long acting esters so one fast acting or two fast acting with a uh, one or two um long acting slower acting esters uh mixed into the same oil all into one vial so that's it's um it's like a blend of different esters of the testosterone all mixed together in one vial so one shot will have different um peaks in your blood at different times you know like the propionate in it will peak after two hours and then uh after at about 24 hours the enanthate will peak or something like that that's it's also the, it's the same principle as sustenon it's uh you know uh this kind of combination of testosterone and then there's another product that you'll see from time to time um that is called like a, a rip blend uh or a cut blend, which will usually be a mixture of 50 milligrams um, 
trenbolone, 50 milligrams Masteron, and 50 milligrams testosterone propionate in one milliliter, all mixed together in one vial. Um, and, and that'll be called like a cut mix or something like that. And my opinion on all this stuff with these mixes is I personally like to avoid it. It Having all of the spikes from the blood levels at different times like that gives me anxiety and makes me feel weird. It just, it doesn't make me feel good mentally. Um, have, having, having like, uh, spikes of hormones on a consistent basis like that, um, after injections at like more than one spike or something like that, it's, it's too much. And, and, uh, so I, I don't like, um, Sustanon because of that, uh, but other guys do. So that's a personal preference thing. Uh, some guys feel great on Sustanon, um, but, um, you know, I would prefer just using test probe or using test enanthate, test cipionate, test undecanoate, undecanoate. Um, and, and uh, you know, if I did want to use more than one ester, I'd want to do it myself instead of having it all mixed in one vial. I would want to have different vials of singles, and then I'd want to mix that together in a single syringe, you know. Um, what I would do is I would withdraw um, from each vial individually with one syringe um, and uh, then mix it and then uh, do the injection with a syringe that had a mix of the different esters or you know if I wanted to take test trend masteron you know then I'd have you know three separate vials one for test one for trend one for masteron and then I'd uh, you know mix that into a single syringe um, you know but not into a single vial um, one of the reasons for this is uh, as far as UGLs, I mean, potency for one thing, because they can just short you on something in there, and how would you even know on milligrams or something? And uh, it would be harder to detect that. And then um, the other one is that usually these blends, like testosterone blends or um, like RIP blends or whatever, give way more inflammation and pain, like post-injection pain, uh, where, where you, you know, you're really sore and the injection site is more irritated and inflamed and may even be a little bit itchy. Um, so I really like um, non-irritating uh, steroids, you know, steroids that um, my body doesn't, you know, have a big reaction to and be like, oh, what are you putting in me? I like ones that my body just wants to like really accept, you know, and they're very natural and they're not have all of these solvents uh different solvents and things uh sterilants put in them because there's all these different esters inside and different products inside the oil and it's hard to get them to all mix and be like in a solution so you got to put all this extra crap in there that causes like the person's body where the injection is to freak out i mean that's the normal reaction especially if it's ugl um using pharmaceutical grade um, Sustanon, like Originon Sustanon 250 ampules, which those are available. Those are available. Those are pretty readily available in Asian countries for the most part. Um, um, those ones, those ones are not going to give you post-injection pain um, because those, those, you know, the company that makes it, Originon, they've got they've got a great freaking way of making it, and it's the same thing like. You know, maybe a UGL sometime, um, you know, if they've got some guy who is, you know, really good at doing what he's doing, he might be able to make it without a lot of pain. 
either because you can do it without solvents. But the majority of these products are not like that. Uh, the majority of these products that are blends or sustenons and stuff like that uh, made by uh, non-pharmaceutical companies are a total bitch to inject because they cause so much inflammation and post-injection pain. It's, it's really a hassle. Um, all right, and you also asked, what do you feel is best over the counter anti-estrogen in your experience? There was a really good one that was pretty widely available called arimestane, and that was very similar to eczemestane. It was basically, it was, you know, arimestane was also, was also a steroid. Eczemestane, aromacin, that's a steroid, but it's a steroid, uh, uh, it's a metabolite, a testosterone metabolite that's very, very uh, attracted to the aromatase enzyme. Uh, so when it enters the body, um, you know, the aromatase enzyme binds to it and that takes it out of the body. Um, there's a little bit made naturally, eczemestane, aromacin. Uh, in your body uh, it's not completely foreign to you but that that's why it's not toxic either like the other AIs are like Arimidex and Letrozole have a little bit of toxicity to them uh, not much but a little bit and uh, you know but on the other hand Eximestane does not really uh, so but Eximestane is a little bit weaker than Arimidex and Letrozole I mean for example 25 milligram uh, Eximestane tablet is a normal dosage but um, for Arimidex, one milligram is a normal dosage. And for Letrozole, 2.5 milligrams is a normal dosage. Out of those three tablets, what is the strongest one? The 2.5 milligram Letrozole tablet would be the strongest one. But milligram per milligram, Arimidex and Letrozole are pretty comparable. Uh, if you took 2.5 milligrams of Arimidex, that would have a pretty similar effect to 2.5 milligrams of Letrozole. Um, so it kind of tell you how strong letrozole is but uh on the other hand you know it would probably take three aromasins so 70 you know since uh aromasin is normally found in a 25 milligram tablet it would take like 75 milligrams of aromasin to equal the effect of like 2.5 milligrams of letrozole uh it's just so to tell you like how strong they are in comparison to each other milligram per milligram uh but like three tablets of Arimidex or Eximestane, two and a half tablets of uh, Arimidex, about equal to one tablet of Letrozole. All right, so the legal ones, though, that Arimestane one, most of them, most of the companies that were selling that took it off the market. I think it's still findable if you can find it. So that one's very effective because it's a, it's a hormone uh, that doesn't turn off your natural hormones. And it removes estrogen from the body because the estrogen is very attracted to it. So it binds to it. And once it's bound to it, the, the estrogen uh, conversion molecule that converts testosterone to estrogen, it's called the aromatase enzyme. Once the uh, arimestane uh, binds to that, well, that enzyme's done. It's not converting any testosterone to, um, to estrogen now. So if you can find arimestane is good. Other than that, uh, pretty much all of the over-the-counter anti-estrogens have been totally banned. The ones that are actually effective. Uh, there are some that are on the market that are like extracts from broccoli and stuff like that. Those are not very strong. Uh, like there's one called DIM, D-I-M, and it's it's like a, it's like a broccoli extract. Okay, like like it can have a little little, little tiny effect, but 
it's not like going to be this thing where like if you've got a bunch of estrogen and you need to control that shit, you can take this broccoli extract. That's not how it works. Uh, you got to take, you know, serious medications, hormones in order to do that. So uh, if that's your situation, you're not able to get um, a rimastain, you could always look into a research chemical company, look into doing some research with chemicals because, uh, you know, these research chemical companies, they sell, you know, like a, they, they buy powder from China or whatever, and then they mix it up in alcohol or whatever to suspend it and then sell you a bottle for research purposes and uh if you look up stuff on the internet like like eczema stain research chemical you'll find people selling vials of this and uh you know the quality control is very very hit or miss uh but it is uh it is uh you know people do research with that you know they get those things <laughs> so <laughs> the next the next question is uh it's it's from Jason he asks Hey, Dan, any way to lower IGF if I'm trying to get prescribed human growth hormone? I was able to get test DECA and Anivar, but my IGF was too high to get growth hormone. Okay, so talking about things that reduce your growth hormone levels. Uh, not getting sleep reduces your growth hormone and IGF. Growth hormone and IGF go hand in hand. The more growth hormone you have, the more IGF you have. Um because growth hormone stimulates IGF release from the liver. So it's more hard to measure how much someone's growth hormone is because that's fluctuating more. And uh, IGF-1 is fluctuating less. It's a, it's a more uh, reliable number to test to get someone's growth hormone levels. So a lot of times IGF-1 is uh, tested, used as a proxy in order to uh, say like, oh, okay, this person has about this much growth hormone or so. Um, so the reducing the the igf not getting sleep and this goes for the same with testosterone because they're very they're very uh affected by similar things so the igf and testosterone both go down if you don't get sleep if you drink alcohol like the night before a test um or if you take metformin so metformin reduces igf1 and growth hormone release natural release um, by 50%. It also reduces testosterone uh, or estrogen production by a, by a female uh, or testosterone production by a man, in a man uh, by 50%. Uh, so it definitely reduces those levels. If you were looking for a supplement or something, like if somebody didn't want to have um, high IGF-1 levels, and, you know, IGF-1 is involved with, um, you know, like the growth and proliferation of tissue. Uh, so... Um, if a person has cancer, for example, having high IGF-1 levels will encourage that cancer to grow because it encourages the growth differentiation of tissue. Um, that's what it does. IGF-1, growth hormone. So, you know, metformin makes people live longer when they go on it. And uh, one of the reasons for this is that it um, reduces... Um, the amount of carbohydrates that are absorbed um, and reduces the total calories. People who eat less calories also tend to live longer than those who eat more calories. Um, and then uh, the other thing that it does is it reduces the IGF-1. Um, so it, it reduces a lot of all-cause mortality of um, things happening. You know, people with high IGF-1 have um, more strange things happening inside than people that do not. 
but it's it's not really a something to worry about too much though for growth hormone users like for example um dosages wise for growth hormone children that get prescribed it for like dwarfism or like stunted growth they get prescribed five to ten ius per day um and and that's pretty pretty much in line with what the average like 14 to 17 year old is producing about the same amount as would be five to 10 I use per day. Um, and then, you know, for AIDS patients for, um, increasing protein, uh, retention and protein synthesis. Um, so muscle wasting to prevent that, uh, for AIDS patients, they, they actually take they get, they get prescribed 18 I use per day. Um, so they get boxes each week, a box of serostim with seven 18 IU vials in it. Um, but uh, that's very uncomfortable to be on that much growth hormone. Uh, it will be very uncomfortable, hard, uh, kind of painful to walk because there's a lot more lactic acid and um, a lot more water retention um, and also tiredness. So a lot of those people that have AIDS and are prescribed those high dosages of growth hormone do not follow um, their their prescription and and only take it sometimes and usually at reduced dosages uh because it's the it's the compliance isn't very high because of the uncomfortability of taking that but those are the kind of the different ranges of growth hormone that are used prescribed by doctors and then for somebody that is looking for growth hormone replacement therapy um just like uh replacing their natural levels as in um you know like looking for some like skin rejuvenation and you know some reduction in body fat a little bit a little bit and um uh it can it can have some light libido effects too and like um also just make your metabolism more like when you were a little bit younger um more able to handle um some of the junk food without uh gaining fat and uh that that's about that's about two i use per day gives that effect um and then, and then at four, four I use, five I use, six I use. So between four to six I use per day, that's where it starts giving like, um, you know, that serious performance enhancing effect, you know, where it's, you know, it's really melt, melting your fat, um, you know, similar to the way a teenager, when a teenager hits puberty, you know, and you just see them, uh, having a, a body recomposition and, uh, you know, they've got high testosterone and they've got high growth hormone, um, and, you know, growth hormone is better at burning fat than testosterone is, but it needs to be activated by testosterone, okay? So you can't take growth hormone without steroids and expect it to give you any kind of good results as far as like fat burning and muscle performance, okay? It must be combined. The prerequisite to using growth hormone is that steroids must be used simultaneously. But steroids can be used without growth hormone and they're fine. But growth hormone does not react in the same way. All right, next question is from Steve. Hey, Dan, new listener to the podcast, and it's fantastic. I'm an intermediate steroid user in the past. Just started back after a year off from a tear two in my MCL in my knee and having my second child. I started back on strong lifts five by five, then we'll switch to push-pull legs once my base is reestablished. How soon is it all right to start a 250 milligram per week protocol of test after starting back? Thanks. Okay, so first off, this guy's got a family and young kids, so he's uh, look. He's looking uh, to have a real fit body, you know. But this guy is not looking to, you know, be doing extreme things. Um, 
And uh, so he's asking about 250 milligrams of test per week. Um, I think it's really good that you're doing the strong lifts five by five. That's a really good workout, guys. Mad cow five by five or strong lift five by five. Uh, those will really get you stronger on the compound lifts. And those that's one of the things that all strong bodybuilders need or all big bodybuilders need to have the ability to to have you know a lot of strength so if you um are finding through your cycles that they're not improving your your maxes on your lifts um you know like your five rep maxes or your 10 rep maxes on your compound lifts like squat deadlift standing overhead press bench press bent over row Then if you do these uh, programs like Strong Lifts 5x5 or Mad Cow 5x5, it will really move you. Um, it will really get those compound lifts up, okay? Like within a 10-week cycle of doing that, you know, you'll be for sure, even if you're natural, but, but even, you know, even more on steroids, um, you'll, you'll be, you know, lifting on those compound lifts for 5 rep max, uh, 10 rep max, you'll be able to lift, you know, put 30 more pounds on the bar, 40 more pounds on the bar, 50 more pounds on the bar. So in your quest to get big and strong, you know that one of the things that you need to do is is to get those compound lifts up high because we we all know that, that the big guys are, are very strong if they try. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the ways to help with that so good good job picking that workout you were saying how how soon is it all right to start back in 250 a week protocol and test you know i would say like once you were in the swing of things and you felt like you had got your strength going and you're just feeling good in general and then you know things were starting to slow down again you could see that the progress was kind of just stalling out and then you just go ahead and get back on the test and yeah things get good um, think things should start um, going a little bit better from there and having better progress. It's not going to be out of this world or anything, but I don't think that that's what Jason, I don't think that's what Steve's at looking for. Um, he, he's just looking to, you know, have a fit body, um, high, high male hormone levels and uh, have energy and be able to work out and be, you know, stronger than the average guy. Um, so that's what I'm assuming. So I would say, you know, once you start seeing things slow down, because you're you're going back onto a good program. So, it, when you start seeing things slow down, you're like, ah, oh, program's not working so much anymore. Let's go on that test. Next question is from G1. He asks, "Hi, can I know what steroids affect male chest and bicep can enlarge?" Yeah, yeah. So, I don't think. English is his first language, which is fine. Um, when I when I go to other countries, um, I notice sometimes the people are a little bit shy about not being able to speak English, but I don't feel like they should feel that way at all, because when I'm in their country, um, I'm you know I need to be speaking their language a little bit, you know, like even just. It, it makes things a lot more fun and and they also I think interpret that as being a little bit respectful um, so I try uh, and and you know I may feel a little bit shy doing that but mo it's 
I don't normally feel shy at all doing that. It's more of something that I've gotten used to and uh, I find it fun. So I, I like to learn to speak the language, at least somewhat of other countries that I go to or, um, or, you know, know some, some words, some things that I say, I can, I can always communicate with them somewhat um, in their language. I, I find that to be important and uh, f- very fun. So thanks, um, Jiwan, for asking this question. Going out on a limb, even though English isn't your first language. Brave man. So he's asking about which steroids can make your chest and bicep bigger. And the if you're any any steroids make your your chest and bicep bigger any steroids that you take any cycle um and you get you get a a bigger bench press number you're able to to do more more weights for more reps on your bench press or and you know you got to be touching the chest on every rep and doing a pause one one thousand and then press up so you bring the bar down slowly to your chest under control let it sit on your chest one one thousand and then you push it back up as fast as you can as hard as you can uh that's that's the way to do the 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 bench press for the chest growth for the for the muscle growth and uh do, do that one like that and then with the biceps if you can do chin-ups so do you know where you grab the bar above your head and you do the pull-ups you pull your your body up so that your chin comes above above the bar and then you go back down and you do reps like that do it with your hands your hands facing your face so uh instead of your hands pointing away from you have the hands um you know the inside of your hand pointing back at your face uh, while you do the chin-ups and uh that that will really help build your biceps a lot and and then just barbell curls or dumbbell curls just do a lot of reps um and then and then as far as you're talking about what steroids do that you just need to be on a a cycle that is you know reasonably anabolic to get good gains so something like 250 milligrams of testosterone to 500 milligrams of testosterone per week with something like 25 or 50 milligrams of anadrol or winstrol or terenabol uh per day um pretty easy cycle to use um not a lot of problems controlling side effects if you get any estrogen side effects have some arimidex on hand arimidex tablets to take to control estrogen so you don't get bitch tits Joan. okay alex asks hey brother i want to use i want to ask this for the podcast What's your opinion of Pete Grimkowski's alleged steroid use? Said he took 10 grams of gear a day, 27 cc's of oil, 3 bottles of orals per day, prepping for a show. Sounds as preposterous as Arnold's 3D Anibal and 2 shots of Primo. (laughs) Yeah, you know, some guys take, you know, really take a lot. Um... Actually, the volume of oil that you inject, too, has an effect on the muscle size. So, you know, wherever you inject your steroids tends to get extra big. Um, so that, that, you know, injecting a lot of oil like that um, because of scar tissue that grows inside and takes up space inside the muscle. It appears as muscle and it's hard as muscle. Uh, so, so taking a lot of oil like that can be something that gets you big. I think that if he was taking 27 cc's 
um, it was probably mostly gear that was in the milligram of, you know, 50 milligrams per milliliter to 100 milligrams per milliliter. So he, or, or maybe a little more like 200 milligrams per milliliter, but most of the pharmaceutical grade gear will, I mean, none of it comes dosed higher than that. Uh, so, so that's what he was using back then. There was no UGL. There was only pharmaceutical grade back then. So he was using something like two and a half grams to three grams per day. Um, you know, we are talking about a pro bodybuilder here, guys, who was on the Olympia stage. So, you know, when you're talking about, you know, what do these guys use? And you have some guy that, you know, comes out and says something that's very shocking. Um, but it and it's very different, but and, and it's very abusive. And, you know, you see some of these guys, you know, stuff, guys like Dallas McCarver and stuff that have problems die. And, you know, you look at their toxicology reports and see these massive numbers, you know, like 10 grams of testosterone in his blood per week and, um, you know, grams of Trenbolone uh, present. And, uh, you know, you see that, that there's, a, there's a very dark side uh, to doing these things. Pete Grimkowski says that he had no side effects doing those things. So he also per, uh, participated in some really high dosage studies at uh, UC San Diego. Um, that were like uh, the effects of taking like more than 10,000 or up to 10,000 milligrams of oxandrolone per week, uh, taking 5,000 milligrams of Deanabol per day, taking 10,000 milligrams of testosterone per week. So he was, there's studies that were done at that university um, back in the golden era. Um, and, and one of the subjects in those studies was Pete Grimkowski. So uh, he does seem to be, you know, a lot more immune to the side effects of steroids than the average dude. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he was per participating in those really high dose, uh, studies too, that are documented. So, um, pr pretty, if you can find somebody who's, um, honest about the golden era, such as, uh, Dr. Robert Kerr, who was the doctor who was, he was kind of a quack, but not too much. Um, and, and he, he was prescribing most of the bodybuilders, um, you know, that went to gold's gym or world gym. Um, like, like he was a good doctor, but he would, he was prescribing, you know, steroids like in an athletic way. So, you know, people would call him a quack because he would prescribe, you know, whole stacks of steroids. And, you know, a lot of them would be to the bodybuilders and it would be at really high dosages. So, um, if you want to look at, you know, some of the, you know, wild dosages that were typically being used in the gyms and, and he didn't approve of them, you know, it would, you know, be something like, uh, you know, a single, back then it was about five dollars at cvs for a 100 tablet five milligram um uh five milligram per tablet 100 tablet bottle of the anabol um and so when you talk about uh and that that would be like a common thing to like take you know uh a bottle a day uh so for for some bodybuilders in that and dr robert kerr did not approve of that okay but i'm just saying that um, it would be a common thing and, and he documents it in, uh, one of his books. And so, you know, people use people, people use and abuse, uh, steroids. Remember guys, this was the seventies uh, here that we're talking about. We're talking about the hippies. Uh, they were also using and abusing, uh, lots of other drugs. <laughs> so it doesn't, uh, you know, somebody, you know, that is a pro bodybuilder and a total freak, you know, that's using these astronomical, uh, amounts of gear you know glad that we have some people that are willing to talk openly uh next question from drew he says hey man got a question for the podcast would you recommend committing to a lifelong trt protocol with no doctor 
anything to worry about AI usage, HCG usage, etc. Mm, I don't know about like committing to a lifelong T TRT protocol. I know that they talk about that a lot on the internet, but like most guys can recover for the most part with high dosage HCG use from using steroids even long term. Sometimes it just takes, you know, astronomical dosages like between 3 to 10,000 IUs of HCG for 3 to 6 months um to re to really recover. Um so the the lifelong TRT commitment, it's kind of a weird thing that they talk about on the internet a lot and saying like, "Oh, you got to be on for life" or something like that. But the main thing is that once you start, you're going to want to be on for life because it, you know, having high testosterone levels, you realize, "Damn, this is freaking awesome." And, uh, you know, this can really benefit me. So a lot of guys that don't have, they haven't had the experience yet of like being on gear. They're asking questions like that. And the main, it's mainly just because they haven't been on it yet. And they still like hold on to this idea of like, okay, well, I'm just going to do one cycle or something. And then like, you know, I'm going to meet my goal and I'll never use steroids again. And then they've been told, like, the alternative is to use them for the rest of your life. And so they feel like they have to make, like, one of these decisions like this before they start. Um, but usually just what happens is you'll start out saying, okay, I'm going to do one cycle, you know, and that's all I want to use with steroids. But then once, you know, you've been on cycle for six weeks, eight weeks or something like that, you're like, damn, this is improving, like, everything about me, uh, everything about, you know, like doing what I want to do, like get what I want to get out of my life, you know, it's really helping. So then, then you, you scrap that whole idea and completely throw out the idea that you're going to, you know, not use them anymore. <laughs> it's usually a question that's asked from guys who haven't used them before. Uh, next question is from Brandon. Hey man, I got questions. I've been pinning test and trend for about two years now. And almost every time I pin, I'll get lumps in my glutes. They're very painful, and I always try to roll out the muscle after. I make sure to clean the injection site pre-injection, and I clean off the tops of my vials with alcohol before withdrawing into the syringe. Is the oil balling up? I heard heat could help, but that it could also ruin the potency of the gear formed before injecting. What can I do to prevent this? It's making me not want to pin. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, you've been doing a lot of injections into your glutes, and uh, at this point, your glutes are just begging you to stop um, because you're getting the scar tissue in there. Um, it, I don't think it's it's oil balling up inside. I, I think what you're what you're doing is uh, when you inject a needle into your body, um, into your muscle, you know, you're you're cutting through separating tissue. And, um, you know, if you do that repeatedly, consistently over time and you're putting, you know, um, oils and sterilants and uh, hormone crystals into that area over and over again over time, uh, as well as at the same time working those muscles, you know, scar tissue does develop inside the muscle between the fibers. And uh, if you're doing that consistently, um, you know, injecting in the same spot, um, you'll you'll notice that there becomes some firmness or lumpiness inside um, and, and the area gets quite a lot bigger as well. You notice like, wow, this muscle is way bigger because I've been <laughs> injecting steroids into it. And, uh, you know, it has some hardness, some lumpiness, maybe some tightness. And, uh, the main thing that you need to do is just find new injection spots and give it a rest. You can't, um, only have like uh, two injection spots and, and then just, you know, say, you know, that's where I inject my steroids. If you're injecting steroids more than once per week, uh, 
or twice per week because uh, the the injection sites will get so abused that it'll start to really cause you problems. So, um, you know, having three injection, uh, in having, man. So the normal ones that are the easiest to do. Let me tell you what the normal easiest injection sites are, are to do. Um, the glute, what you know, and then the ventral glute, which is on your side, which is the shoulder of the leg. Um, and then the hip flexor, which is the, it's in the same, you know, how your, your glute, your, in the rear, it points diagonal outwards. It's the upper, upper outer portion of the glute that you inject. Well, the upper frontal portion of your hip or your, the top of your leg, uh, just underneath your hip bone is where the hip flexor is. And that's also a, a very, uh, convenient injection spot so each of those spots you have you know three injection spots on each hip uh can take you know three to five cc's um handily so that's a total of six spots right there and then people have their shoulders too which is you know one or one or two milliliters in their shoulders uh which is also a fairly easy um injection spot so those are mm, the most recommended um injection spots you're looking to learn uh injection technique how to find those muscles spotinjections.com is a really good website for that uh with getting rid of the lumps that are already in there the foam roller is good but if you use a hard ball like a croquet ball or a lacrosse ball or a baseball um and and put your weight on top of that and stretch the muscle while your weight is on top of it it'll cause a lot of pain uh right you know where where that scar tissue is but the pain will start to subside after the you've applied the pressure for about 20 seconds to 40 seconds and that'll be because the adhesions or the scar tissue that's uh not allowing the muscles fibers to move uh correctly and properly uh it started to break up so uh that that's how you can do a more intense therapy to it than uh, you can do with the foam roller. I, I myself roll on top of the, the hard ball every single day. I've been doing it for years because I, I'm more susceptible that, to this kind of thing uh, than the average person. Uh, mostly not, not from injections so much, but mostly just from training, you know, breaking down and building up tissue and having some scar tissue develop um, and adhesions between the muscle fibers and then getting some pain um, in the muscles or in my joints um, because of the muscles uh, being tensed and, you know, not relaxing and then pulling the joints a little bit out of place and stuff, you know, doing stuff like what I think, you, you know, what I used to think was tendonitis until I, you know, realized that, oh, you know, I've, I've got these tight muscles with these adhesions between them, you know, because I was wondering, why is my body in chronic pain? <laughs> so then once I started uh, adopting rolling on top of the ball, you know, and, and finding those, those hard, sensitive, tender spots in all my muscles all over the place, my shoulders, my thighs, everything, um, and then breaking those areas up, you know, uh, putting my weight on top of the ball with it, uh, you know, resting the muscle resting on top of the ball on the floor. Uh, and then, uh, going through that, uh, getting the pressure right on the right spot with all my body weight on it. And then this pain building up for about 20 to 40 seconds. And then it's almost unbearable. You got to start like laughing or yelling or something. Cause it's such an a, acute pain. But uh, then after that, you know, it, it then releases, the muscle yields, and uh, it's immediate relief to the chronic pain that you're having. Uh, so that's, that's, I really recommend that for helping you feel better from uh, having scar tissue. All right, Jack asks, hi, Dan, I have a question for your next podcast. I like the podcast in your book, Ultimate Guide to Roids. 
109-page ebook by Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand because there's no bullshit contrary to the rest of the fitness guru industry. You did talk about a few times, but you never went in-depth about your everyday diet while on cycle. Would be nice to get some advice about what to eat for the best results, preferably during a bulk, which I find harder than a cut. Okay, so optimal diets, one thing... The like your nationality or your race actually does have to do with this. So the foods that like you're you're used to eating and that you know t- typically people like in your culture or your race eat are usually foods that agree with your stomach. And so so that's that's a big one. Okay. Um, as far as as me, my optimal diet is a low carb diet, high meat diet. Because this gives me the best health, it gives me the best blood markers, and it gives me the least water retention. So when I eat carbohydrates, I get a lot bigger and stronger, um, and I get a lot of water retention. Um, so for for bulking, yeah, I mean carbohydrates. There's nothing like carbohydrates for bulking, you know. So, so provided you have a base amount of protein, two to three hundred grams per day, uh, for the average two hundred pound dude. Um, and then, you know, the more carbs you eat, the bigger and stronger you get and, uh, more freaky you get. Uh, but a lot of times with detriments to your health, like, um, bad cholesterol, um, bad blood pressure, um, bad blood lipids. And, uh, especially for guys that are from Northern climates, um, you know, your race comes from a Northern climate, like a lot of white people, for example, will do better on high meat diets um, that do not have many carbs at all or you know a low carb diet um, or a uh, ketogenic diet even um, mainly relying on um, meat fat and uh, meat for energy animal products um, that will make so much water leave your body it's just it's it's unreal and your, your blood I'm talking 10 pounds and your blood pressure will drop as soon as you get on that diet for like uh, about five days or so, like if if you're somebody with high blood pressure, and especially like if your 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 genetic background is is your like a European ancestry, ancestry, um, and and you have problems with like blood pressure, water retention, being bloated, stuff like that. When you get uh, it, this goes for everybody, by the way. This goes for Asian people, Black people, Mexicans. But I I've personally found the most profound results doing this in white people mostly because their uh, the ancestry was mostly hunter gatherers and they were not eating a lot of grain it was mostly big game hunters and uh, this kind of diet is the the diet that provides for the most part the best the least inflammation the least autoimmune disease and uh, the least blood pressure stuff like that there's a lot of people that say different things guys there's a lot of people that say different things but you know the reason I'm saying this right now is because of results that I personally had myself and in clients. And this is my method. And, you know, everybody's got methods that work for them. You know, my method isn't the only method that works, but this method does work uh, for, for a lot of the people that I'm talking about. Um, and uh, so for me, that's, I've been through lots of diets, you know, and, and I'm not looking, you know, I've been big and very freaky, you know, outrageously large um, in the past, uh, right now I'm, I'm not looking to be, you know, max size, outrageously freaky and strong. I'm looking for a more, um, leaned down, 
athletic physique. So, uh, but I, I am still, um, you know, even though I haven't been able to go to the gym in quite a long time because of this virus, I'm still a uh, 200, 215 pounds, um, 178 centimeters, five foot nine uh, tall, and uh, very more muscular than most any person you're going to see in the gym, unless they're on a ton of steroids. <laughs> so, so uh, that's, uh, that's my current, my, my current look. Uh, and, and, and that's from eating my, my diet that I eat consistently over the past few months has been about two pounds of, or one to two pounds. Yeah. Of ground beef per day. Um, uh, sometimes I'll have instead of that I'll have uh, chicken uh, cooked in coconut oil like chicken breast cooked in coconut oil and uh, you know I eat that with greens you know a lot of a lot of salad and and uh, and uh, a lot of onion a lot of a lot of other vegetables and um, I'll usually have about one serving of fruit per day and uh, that's about it <laughs> hey. Think about your ancestors, man. What were they eating? You know, I, I've, I hold so much less water retention on this diet and, uh, you know, I feel great. My energy levels, I used to be someone that got very, very sleepy after eating, especially after eating carbohydrates, after doing lunch, you know, I was basically useless. Work was over for the day, but you know, now I'm not like that because, uh, now that I don't have those, um, insulin spikes happening all the time. I've got low insulin, very sensitive to insulin from eating a low carb diet. Um, definitely not as big and strong, uh, but still reasonably big and strong is what I'm trying to say. And, uh, you know, I've got way more energy, way more energy and, you know, non bloated face and stuff, you know, so that that's great. So for you guys, it's it's really like if you're looking to be as big and strong as possible, you got carbs are going to be your best friend. If you're looking to be like lean and like a very lean down look and non-bloated, uh, defined facial features, stuff like that, a, a low or no carb diet is going to be uh, superior. Okay, the last question is from Derek. He asks, hey, Dan, I started two IU a day of Ansimone. Good. That's pharmaceutical grade growth hormone from China. So Ansimone is a pharmaceutical-grade growth hormone produced in China for use in Chinese hospitals, only in the Chinese mainland. Um, so it, uh, Ansimone, if you find that, it's, um, it's, it's a real pharmaceutical-grade growth hormone, even though it's made in China. Uh, so he, he started 2IU four days ago, and he's been uncontrollably tired throughout the day and was wondering if he needed to change something. He's on 500 testinanthate and 500 equipoise per week. Just added the HGH after 10 weeks on that. Um, growth hormone makes you more tired. It makes you need more sleep. It's a very strong recovery molecule, and you recover when you're sleeping and uh, grow, and it makes you more tired. You need another hour or two of sleep per night on growth hormone. The, f the first week or two weeks on growth hormone are a little bit difficult as you adjust because you've got a lot of water retention, especially if it's uh if you're using higher dosages 
but you're only using two two IUs per day. But you probably are noticing more water retention, like a puffier face, a little bit. The first couple of weeks, your body has to like readjust, so it gains some water when you first start injecting growth hormone. And then you know, if as long as you're taking like under four or five IUs per day, um, that kind of goes away after a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. It, it, some of that water retention goes away as your body like normalizes to having the higher. Uh, growth hormone and uh, IGF-1 levels in you, and and a lot of the tiredness goes with that too. Um, on a similar on a similar adaptation scale, generally on growth hormone, uh, you will need about one or two more hours of sleep per night uh, to feel the same amount of of rested as you did before. Um, but as far as like needing naps and feeling tired throughout the day, usually that's only something that happens at the beginning. Or it would be something that, you know, growth hormone makes you very hungry, okay? So when you take growth hormone, you're a lot hungrier and you eat a lot more food, but your metabolism is a lot faster. And, you know, you're processing food the same way that you did when you were a 17-year-old um, at about four IUs per day. Maybe about a 25-year-old for two IUs per day. <laughs> uh, and But anyways, you're produce, the way that you're processing your food is much more the way that you were when you were younger, where um, it's, you know, getting partition. It's not becoming body fat. It's, it's just not. It's being blocked from having that happen. And uh, you're more hungry and more wanting more food and need high calorie dense food. And so you got all these calories. You got all this, uh, you know, that makes you a little bit more insensitive to insulin, too. So then your body has to compensate for that by producing more insulin to, you know, get the same result with a lower insulin sensitivity. Since the receptors are less sensitive, then you got to, you know, the body's got to produce more insulin to, you know, have the same effect as when they were more sensitive because growth hormone reduces insulin sensitivity a bit. So you got a lot of insulin in you, uh, you know, from all that eating and the insensitivity and when you got insulin in you, you're tired and you're sleepy and you don't have energy. So those are, that's the rundown on growth hormone tiredness. If you would like your questions to be answered on the steroids podcast, go to steroidspodcast.com and leave a comment with your questions or email or private message steroidspodcast at gmail.com or steroidspodcast on Instagram. Until next time.